I'm Dwight Bingham. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment, no illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become sold on this week's episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show that discusses all things social justice and criminal justice, where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen, of your constitutional rights, to provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I'm excited about today's show because we have two wonderful young ladies that are guests Today, we are in week 13 of the 2023 fall semester at Heartland Community College. Three more weeks to go. And we are studying corrections in the community. I have a wonderful, wonderful crew today. So without any further ado, I introduce to some and present to others. The wonderful Miss Courtney Lindsay and the awesome Miss Caroline Carr. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you for having us. Yep, happy to be here. Wonderful. The title of today's show is Electronic Monitoring and Drug Court. Let's jump right into segment one. Segment one, Courtney and Caroline, is for the educational and occupational guidance of high school and college students. And we accomplish this by allowing our guests to introduce themselves. So if you would, let the audience know where you were born and raised, what high school you attended, your major or planned major, why you enrolled in the class, and give us one career goal. Let's start with you, Caroline. Okay. Um, I was born in Missoula, Montana, but I only lived there for about a year and a half before we moved here to Bloomington, Illinois, and I've lived here since then. So I attended Bloomington High School right here in the central of Bloomington. And I'm still undecided on my major, but I'm leaning more towards childhood education. I enrolled in this class because I figured it would be fun and could give me insight and useful information on how our criminal justice system works. And I've also heard many good things about this course. And I loved watching Law and Order this past year. And then one career goal of mine would just be to help people in need and teach the next generation to be kind. Wonderful. All right. Courtney? So I was born and here to normal when I was 10 and I've been here ever since. Um, I went to Calvary Christian Academy, but I did drop out after sophomore year and got my GED at Heartland. My Land major uh, would be forensic psychology. I enrolled in this class to get kind of a basic idea of the criminal justice system um, and have some of those building blocks that could feed into forensic psychology. Uh, and then a career goal of mine, I'd really like to become an expert in my field um, of study. And um, I'd like to also be an author in peer-reviewed journals, focusing on research that lies in psychology, sociology. Wonderful. Caroline, did you say that you actually got interested in criminal justice through CSI? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Somebody had asked me one time because I loved the Mod Squad yeah. growing up. And so they were like, 
So you're telling me that you were a probation officer for 35 years because you love to watch my squad. And I was like, <laughs> yep. Of course. If, if, if Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor can become a Supreme Court justice because she liked watching Perry Mason, I surely could come a, pro- a probation officer after watching my squad all those years. And Courtney, did you get my response? A- aspiring author? Okay. I have not read email yet, but I know I inquired about a few things. But yeah, I'd love to be academically. I'd like to write on a scholarly level, but I also have a pretty deep passion of writing in general. So I'm excited to read whatever you have provided me. All right. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. Because I actually was excited about your desire to become a writer. Very good, ladies. Let's move on to segment two. Segment two is to Form the American public of their constitutional rights. But before we ask you to tell us what your favorite constitutional right is, let's talk a little bit about and remind the audience that the title of today's show is Electronic Monitoring and Drug Court. So let's begin with you, Caroline. Can you define electronic monitoring for the audience? Yeah, I define electronic monitoring because it refers to the use of electronic devices and technology to observe, track, and record information about individuals' activities. I think it's often used as an alternative to incarceration for individuals on probation or parole. It can involve like ankle bracelets or other devices that track the individual's movements and ensure compliance with specific conditions. Wonderful. No need for me to add anything to that. (laughs) All right, Courtney, can you define drug court? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, Drug court's a unique alternative to traditional court proceedings. Its intention is to help offenders become sober and provide support while doing so through a treatment program. The offenders are monitored and given conditions regarding drug use. And some examples uh, that might be included in this type of program is obtaining a GED, maintaining or obtaining employment, to be financially responsible, and to have a sponsor in the community. Something I thought was really neat about this is that the offender must agree to participate and traditional court is still an option. Wonderful. No need to add anything to that either. Okay. Excellent definition, Caroline. What do you think the main goal or objective is of electronic (laughs) monitoring? I said that I think the main goal of electronic monitoring is to supervise individuals who are on parole or probation to ensure compliance with court orders, conditions. And I feel like some examples of that would be like if they had a curfew or they were on house restrictions. All right. Courtney, what do you think the main goal or objective is of drug court? Yeah. So in a way, it reminds me of restorative justice. There's initiative to repair harm done to a victim by ensuring offenders take responsibility for their actions and understand harm. And I think drug court works in this way and kind of helps the offender um, atone to themselves for things that they may need help with or offenses that they've had issues with in the past, maybe habitually. But it's a neat way to help uh, somebody get rehabilitated and be able to function within our society without the confines of addiction. Um, And I think really the main goal here would be it meets the person where they're already at and it offers them support in a way that would truly benefit them in the long term. Wonderful. All right. I'm sure the audience can tell that we have a, a couple of astute young ladies on the show today. And so that said, in your opinion, Which of the two 
is more rehabilitative? Um, I actually said that the I think that the drug court is more rehabilitative oriented just because of the treatment focus and the judicial oversight. And I feel like they really want to see everybody's progression provide support for them. Okay, Courtney. I'd agree. I said drug court. I think it's more uh, it proactively influences a long term goal and it has the intention or appears to have the intention to provide something more tangible, such as habits and structure that allows someone to develop and grow. I honestly think a combination of both would make a lot of sense in some instances. They could easily work with each other in both deterring and allowing personal growth. You ladies are exactly right, because when you think of electronic monitoring, it's more related to and centered around security. And anytime you're trying to keep track of an individual electronically, you try, you're really concerned about the safety of the public. Uh, we know from the research that punishment alone does not rehabilitate. And so programs like Drug Court actually are more rehabilitative and trying to resolve their problem with substance abuse. Tell me, what is your favorite constitutional right? Beginning with you, Courtney. Oh, my favorite would be uh, the Eighth Amendment. The offender would be subjected to excessive bail, fines, cruel or unusual punishment. And the cruel and unusual punishment is kind of the largest protection for me. And I, I think I shared last time, there, there's some offenses that even I, when I read about them or see them in the media, think that somebody should suffer for what they did. But I think that you know, ethically and morally, we have to keep and maintain some sort of integrity. It's not guilty until proven innocent, even though it feels like that, I think, in a lot of a lot of ways. But it's innocent until proven guilty. And I think that any type of in-between of arrest, being held, you know, whether in a county jail, going to prison, you should have some basic human decency and safeguards in place at all levels of life. Wonderful. Favorite constitutional right, Caroline? Um, I said my favorite constitutional right is the First Amendment, just because people have the right to express their opinions freely without having like a certain agenda pushed upon them. And obviously, it also lets anybody practice a religion of their choice freely. Okay. And I often like to say that without a First Amendment right, I, as an African-American, certainly wouldn't have the privileges that I have today. All right. Very good. Is there anyone above the law, Caroline? We have the First um, Amendment, right? And you can say what you want to as long as you don't holler fire in the theater. But <laughs> is there anyone above the law? Yeah, I actually said no, that there is no one above the law. But I do think some people believe that they are. I don't think anyone is or should be above the law, but we see corruption from like the government and people with power, such as people are rich and use their money to buy their way out of situations, which can make it seem like they are above the law. OK, wonderful response. It makes me think about how the saying goes that justice is determined in the hallways. And what is meant by that is that exactly what you just said, if you have enough money you can buy your way out of certain things. And, right. and so that is the reason why I'm so glad that we have the Sixth Amendment, which is, allows you to an access of an attorney if you cannot afford one. OK, very good. Courtney, is there anyone? Yeah, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, <laughs> is there anyone above the law? 
So I completely agree with uh, Caroline's response. You know, I'd love to say no, there's not. I don't personally believe anybody is, but I, I do agree that there's instances of corruption, there's failure of integrity on a lot of different levels and not just propagated politics, but even, you know, here in McLean County, there's there's police officers, there's um, attorneys, there's uh, people who are business owners around here that it just appears that the rules apply differently or they have more chances than, say, a regular civilian, I guess. And I, I personally think when those instances are found out and they're caught that they should have some really severe or be reprimanded severely because uh, nobody should be above the law. That would create a very kind of class style society. And uh, it definitely makes money in a way more valuable and more evil. <laughs> Absolutely. Nobody should be above the law. But you are exactly right. There are some people that want to do away with the rule of law. And it is the rule of law that uh, that makes us conform to what is right. It is the rule of law that is what hopefully keeps us in line, if you will. Like civility. Exactly. Exactly. And so when you think of the fact that we have a structured law system, you can know that if you violate, you could possibly go to jail. And like I always tell all my students, I'm not going to jail for my mama, for my daddy, my cat, my dog. You hear me? Because Mr. Bingham and the jail cell would not get along. But there are some people that think that they are above the law. So very good. That's the main point that I'm wanting to get across to all my students this semester. All right, moving on. Segment three, the final segment. Being a voice for change as emerging adults who grew up in a predominantly white America. What say Courtney and Caroline about white supremacy and Black Lives Matter? Beginning with you, Caroline. Yeah, I said that white supremacy is still very prevalent today because there are so many groups that practice white supremacy and we see groups that belong to the far right are beginning to grow. I think that Donald Trump has drawn out a lot of groups. Wait, 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 wait. No, you did not say the former (laughs) president of the United States has caused people to come out of the woodwork. You did not say that, Caroline. I know you didn't, did you? I did. I think it's a a little controversial, but I've looked into it quite a bit. Wonderful. I'm sorry, Caroline. Go on. That's okay. I think, yeah, pretty much that there are still a lot of groups that practice white supremacy and they've kind of gotten drawn out of the shadows. Okay. Can you give me one of those groups? If you can't, that's okay. I mean, when I say when I say one of those groups, I mean one of the white supremacist groups. Oh, like the Ku Klux Klan. Okay. Okay. The that, Proud Boys, that oh, one has been yeah. one that I've heard of a lot lately. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Proud Boys, Three Percenters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, very good. All right, Courtney? Yeah, so right off the bat, um, I think it's important to just say white supremacy exists and it has since the existence of this country. Um, we we're founded on principles that were of white supremacy values. I, I agree with Caroline that we did have a pretty polarizing presidency that didn't create this, but kind of drove some of these, I don't know, more radicalized initiatives, I guess I would call it, out of the woodwork. Um, And I I really do think that, you know, with Black Lives Matter, 
Black Lives Matter is a reaction to this kind of renewed sense of in-your-face white supremacy. And it, it seems to be maturing in a way that we see white supremacy almost not as articulated in a way that appears to be racist. They try to intellectualize it. They try to take it down to, you know, this is on a biological level. This is on an intellectual level. Anything that is so dangerous when, you know, you call it like therapy speak, um, when people try to weaponize that type of intellectualization and therapy speak. So I, when I think of Black Lives Matter, this is a, an appropriate reaction and a reaction that, you know, it's unfortunate that it, it has to exist. But I'm glad that something like BLM came to the forefront and was propagated when I saw it in a positive light, hated seeing it in a negative light, but that's kind of how I feel about the two groups of things. Um, I hope in the future I see that white supremacy die off again. (laughs) Um, I think that'd be beneficial for everybody. (laughs) Amen to that, sister. All right. Very good. If you had, I asked everyone that comes on the show, if you have one thing that you would like to see the Biden administration accomplish, what would that be? Beginning with you, Courtney. It's a little more individualistic to myself because it touches me specifically, but uh, reaffirming protection for women's health care. Roe versus Wade was something that could not ignore. It was something that got brought up even at my work. Um, it was something that I had to kind of really focus on, which is hard because I, I wanted to ignore it and not believe that our country was reverting so aggressively. And it, it's difficult to, you know, feel like a valued member of society when what I would call basic health care is taken away and I, my autonomy is taken away, uh, especially being a mother of three children, having gone through experiences, um, you know, having a pregnancy that did not go to term. It's really scary to think about a doctor having more say over what I can do with my body than myself. And I think I mentioned last time that the statistics on healthcare for women and abuse, um, neglect, death in women's healthcare is kind of staggering, but it's even more so staggering with women of color. So it's even more dangerous in my eyes to women of color than me being someone who's white and has a general privilege because I'm white. Wonderfully stated, Courtney. Caroline? Yeah, I said that I hope the Biden administration can accomplish a little less, or I would like to see them lower the percentage of homelessness. I know that this is obviously a very hard thing to do and cannot be changed, obviously, in a year. But I knew that they came out with something that they had planned to decrease it by 25% by 2025, I believe. And I feel like along with that, they could just improve the employment rate because I feel like there are a lot of opportunities, but people don't know about the opportunities and we can all make more opportunities. Wonderful. All right. Speaking of opportunities, free community college. What do you think about it, Caroline? I said yes. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. Okay. And you say yes because? I just feel like a lot of more people could have the opportunity to go to college if it wasn't so expensive. Obviously, community college is a lot cheaper than big universities all around. And I think it'll just allow people of marginalized groups to be provided with a solid education past high school. Okay. All right. Courtney? So I said no, but I believe it should be more accessible for all. I think it's more realistic to look at college, um, whether it's community or otherwise, on a sliding scale. I think that would be way more suited for 
the general population. And um, I think that that sliding scale should include a portion over income that allows free admission. But I really think that uh, any type of higher education should be a lot more accessible to the general public. Wonderful. I'll just add one thing that people have said to me, you believe in or you believe that community college should be free. If community college would be free, everybody would go to community college. I was like, nope. <laughs> everybody. You said every, no? <laughs> I said, no. People, everybody, there'll still be people who actually would not actually, you know, further their education. They would be more into vocational aspects of employment and the alike. So everybody, college isn't for everybody. And so I was like, no. I, I, yes, I believe that it should be free, but everybody, that doesn't mean everybody's going to actually want to go to college. I think I, I just want to add to that. Uh, okay. If, if college was free, I do think it devalues the, it, it doesn't vet people out, I guess, because um, you could have those that start and stop and realize it's not for them. And that's fine. But I think if it became free and degrees were more accessible, I also think it would lessen the, some of the, still strict standards that seem to be very old within like corporate companies, like a company I work at, my department is very conservative, wants me to have a degree to advance to the next level. Yet I've got real life experience. I'm confident, I'm capable and I'm confident, but they want that paper. I That would be like the only thing that I could think of where I'd be like, yeah, we should make this free (laughs) so we can lessen that burden. And then that opens up advancement and jobs um, and better pay. Excellent point. Okay. Should a convicted felon be allowed to be president of the United States? Getting with you, Caroline. Um, I said no, just because I feel like convicted felons still do have rights. And like I said, I think that they should be allowed to vote just because voting is a right, not a privilege. But I think like being president of the United States is just such a major position and a big like thing you have to take on for many years. And I think convicted felon might not just have the resources to do that. Or I also think it depends on the felony, though. OK. OK. That makes sense to me. Courtney? So I said, yeah, I think time served is time served. I think that there could be a system of like a probationary period. And I, I agree. I do think it depends on the offense. And it also depends on if it's multiple offenses, if it's a consistent habit over time. But I also think that someone who has been through our criminal justice system to such a degree would have a really unique perspective that America could thrive from. Okay. So let me ask this. If someone did what individuals did, you know where I'm going, Courtney. I know so, where you're going. That's a no. <laughs> <laughs> the January, uh, is it six? I can't yes, remember. January 6th. If you do something again, because that's a crime against your country, honestly, if it's a crime against your country, I just feel like that takes you out of any political pool and you shouldn't be um, considered because your perspective was that wildly skewed. Um, And it comes down to being trustworthy. And I don't think that I could ever trust somebody who is supposed to be a leader and supposed to act with integrity, grace and ethicalness. I I don't think I could ever uh, trust that person again. Okay. All right. Last question. Marijuana is legal in the state of Illinois. 
Should it be legalized at the federal level? Beginning with you, Courtney. Yeah, I think it absolutely should be. I'm actually a little radicalized on this. I think every drug should be um, legal at the federal level and have regulations on it similar to alcohol. I do not think that specifically for marijuana, I do not think that um, that would then equate to smoking it outside like a cigarette. I do think that public intoxication still should not be a norm. But I do think that marijuana isn't just a use for partying or whatever. Um, A lot of people use marijuana for CBD elements to it as well. And it can help with things that are medically going on with you that aren't just physical, but also psychological. And I think our government's done a lot of work in the Nixon era to try to convince the American public that all drugs are bad, any mind-altering chemicals are bad. But there's some really great research and some really um, helpful research uh, about marijuana um, for people who have ADHD, social disorders, depression. And, you know, there's two sides to every coin. So you have to be careful with what you read and what you interpret from it. Um, So I think it should be regulated, but I do think it should be legal on the federal level. Okay, Caroline. Yeah, I also agree with Courtney. I kind of said the same thing. I think where cannabis is illegal, people are being arrested and charged for possession or sales, which leads to costly court cases and a burden on the criminal justice system because some of these people are getting locked up for longer than other people who have done worse crimes. Um, I think it can have significant benefits for justice and equality, particularly for the marginalized communities that have been disproportionately affected by the criminalization of cannabis. So overall, I think it should be legalized at the federal level. All right. Very good. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Electronic monitoring defined, drug court defined, important constitutional rights and how to make America a better place to live. Until next time, keep living your best life. God bless and Godspeed. speak.